Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 42. Today's episode is all about how to reinvent yourself and reset your thinking for a new career. It's more important than ever to be able to reinvent yourself because there's new jobs, new industries constantly being created, and that means new opportunities for you to come in and capitalize on and leverage your different skills. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, Mind Love is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. We talk a lot on this show about following your passion or creating a life you love and manifesting your desires. But easier said than done, right? Some of you are like, well, what if I've been working in one type of job for the last decade and it's all I know? This is who I am. But hold up, my friend. This is limited thinking. We are so much more than our little brains can even comprehend. So the first step is believing that all things are possible. But then what? That's what today is about. Learning to reset our thinking to make room for all that we can be. Sounds like a job for a mentor, right? Surprise! Today we're talking to Sergey and Vadim. These two brothers have not only mentored and taught hundreds of entrepreneurs on this topic, they also have personal experience in resetting their own thinking to adapt to multiple career changes. And they were very successful in doing it. They've worked in multiple fields at both early and growth stage businesses and have been starting businesses together since college. Now, Sergey is a venture investor at NYU and Vadim is an entrepreneurship lecturer at State University of New York. They both write, public speak, and host a podcast called The Mentors. So think of today as a broad experience of having your very own mentors. Three key things we will learn are how to reset your thinking to move beyond your current career, how to identify skills you may not realize you're great at, as well as quickly learn new skills you might need, and why it's critical to reframe your story to fit your new career. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. 
First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Vadim and Sergey to the show. Thanks a lot for having us, Melissa. Great to be here. To start out, what's your background and how did you get into mentoring young entrepreneurs? Our story, uh, and I think part of the reason why we're talking to you about this specific topic is we started off our careers thinking it was going to turn out one way. And as a reality often is, it turned out completely differently. And we jumped careers many times over. So we started off in finance because that is what our parents wanted us to do. We had a bunch of friends that were doing it that were making a lot of money. And mind you, we were doing our undergraduate before the financial collapse that happened. We graduated right when the financial collapse happened. So it seemed like a good idea to do that. But we ended up going from finance to sales jobs at startups to then launching our own startups to doing product at different companies. And today, this is Sergey. I'm speaking. Vadim and I have exactly the same voices, so it's okay. If- yeah, we won't clarify <laughs> for the rest of the time who's speaking, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we do sound the same. It's okay if folks don't tell the difference. But right now, my main gig is as a venture investor at NYU, and Vadim's main gig is as entrepreneur in residence at a nonprofit called Gen FKD, through which he also is an entrepreneurship lecturer at SUNY Purchase, so he teaches entrepreneurship as well. And we also run our podcast, The Mentors. So we've, I think, reinvented our careers many times over. So we're not always going to love every single moment of what we do. Even if we're in our dream jobs, there'll still be some tedious tasks. So how do you know if you should stick it out or switch it up when it comes to your career? If you're getting some value out of the experience, whether you really enjoy who you're working with or you're learning a lot or you have the opportunity to take on new responsibilities or you're learning a lot about the industry, if you're still getting value out of whatever opportunity you're in, uh, I would say stay in it uh, because as long as you can leverage it to then get something else in the future – and you can still get some benefit out of it, there's no reason in quitting. But once you notice that you're incredibly unhappy or you just don't like coming to work in the morning when you wake up, you're dreading it, or let's say you're not really motivated anymore, then it might be time to move on because simply put, you only live once and you shouldn't uh, spend your life miserable. But I'll give you an anecdote that just came to mind with a woman that I used to mentor through my previous role at Venture for America. She was a fellow at Venture for America, which is an organization that helps people, basically places them in startups in emerging American cities, cities like Philly, Detroit, et cetera. It's a very competitive program. And so she graduated from that program. She got some great work experience and she just took on a job that she thought was going to be her dream job. Essentially, on paper, it's exactly what she wanted to do. And two months into this role, she calls me and she said, Sergey, This is not what I expected. My colleagues are not as motivated as I am. I'm not really learning so much from my boss, or at least he's not as organized as I thought he would be. And I think I made a mistake. Should I quit? And so I went through the Socratic method and started asking her a bunch of questions. And through that line of questioning, I found out that she only was at that job for about two months. And I also asked her, do you think this job 
is going to help you get to the next thing that you want to do. So in other words, do you know what the next thing is that you want to do? And is this a good stepping stone as far as resume builder, but also as far as the type of experience that you want to get? And her answer was yes. And so based on the data that I got from her, I realized that she actually didn't have enough information to even know whether it was the right opportunity or not. And another thing is that even if her boss was as bad as she thought he is, and even if her colleagues were not as motivated as she wanted them to be, she actually had a lot of autonomy in that role and she could define that role in whatever way she wanted. And through her own proactive action, she could do pretty much whatever she wanted to build up her resume in that role. So my suggestion to her in that example was stick it out. Work there for at least a year because there's a lot of pluses. There's a lot of value that you're going to be getting out of this experience versus negatives that might come out of this experience. I know you want something better, but if this can help you get the better thing, then you should stick it out. So I think for people that are not sure, it's really a process of weighing the benefits and the drawbacks of staying in that current situation and whether it's actually going to help them get to the next thing. And you also need to weigh your own personal situation, your financial situation, basically all the different things that might really impact your life. Let's say you're really excited about going off on your own and doing your own business. Well, if you don't have any money saved up and you're going to be in a massive financial strain, if you just quit your job and go full time, it's probably not the right time. And there's a lot you can do while still having a full time job to try to realize your dream of going full time. Uh, so you kind of have to cross the T's and dot the I's and make sure you're in the right position as well and not quit prematurely. Okay, I can definitely relate to that woman with the job that I left to start this podcast, actually. I used to be vice president of a startup, and similar to her, I could basically define my role and execute my own ideas. And I worked from home, so I had a bit of flexibility. And as vice president, I got a lot of experience that I wouldn't have had with a typical job. I learned how to get press. I learned how to write pitch decks, create marketing strategies, manage people. The problem was... First, it didn't feel like my purpose. And second, my boss was really difficult to work with. So I was really weighing the pros and cons for a couple of years. What I ended up doing was starting Mind Love on the side for a few months before officially quitting the startup. This was probably the best thing I could have done because first, knowing I was working on my purpose helped me through some of the hardest times with my former boss. And second, I started to feel more confident that I was creating something special that I loved doing it, and that it was something I wanted to pursue more. So in the end, I am glad I stuck it out for as long as I did, because I learned some really valuable skills that have already helped me when I finally did make the leap to do my own thing. Yeah, no, and I'm glad that actually worked out for you. That's really awesome to hear. And I'll give a quick story that's on the flip side of this, which is someone else I knew that was a friend of mine that was in a job for only about four or five months. So also similar situation where it's not that much time to really build up your resume, but they were just incredibly unhappy. Their boss had no boundaries for work life. In other words, you're expected to work 24 hours a day. Sometimes he would call her at 11 o'clock at night. She was in the East Coast. He was in the West Coast. So she was basically on call 24-7. It was starting to affect her health. And sure, there was some benefits as far as building up her resume and being able to build up to the next position. 
but it was taking such a toll on her mental health that I told her, listen, you need to get out of this situation right now. And she did. And the day that she quit, she felt this relief wash over her. So I think that you have to also know yourself and listen to yourself. If it's something that is just taking so much out of you that the benefits are not really worth it, then you have to resolve that situation. You have to weigh all the different factors. But just like when we learn the most from our failures, sometimes the opportunities where we have the most battle scars is where we also come out on top and end up being able to leverage that in the future to succeed as well. So in the end of the day, obviously, in the example that Sergey just gave, if your mental health is suffering, that's actually very important to consider, then maybe you should quit and you should get out. But do weigh all your options before you make that decision. Okay, wait, that also sounded like my previous situation. So maybe I stayed longer than I should have. I said my boss was difficult, but didn't quite share the full extent of it. He was degrading, he would scream at people, he was narcissistic. And dealing with that kind of stress every day just completely wiped my energy. I was always emotional. It ended up getting so bad that it would trickle into my other relationships. For example, my husband and I don't argue very much at all. And if we do, it's pretty brief, just being human kind of stuff. And we're really good at owning up to our own sides and then coming back together to resolve it. But in this state of mind, it was like I was already so defeated all the time. And I would carry those emotions over and lash out to whoever would talk to me next, which was normally my husband. So we had a lot of conversations about how that situation was affecting me, affecting my health, affecting my happiness. And then funny enough, when I did finally leave, our overseas developer sent me a message and said, well, at least working with, let's call him John. Well, at least working with John for so long, you're probably an expert in mindfulness now. And I was like, wait, you know about my podcast? And he had no idea what I was talking about. He just saw what I had to deal with all the time. So, you know, maybe it was life prep. Maybe it all did happen for a reason. But looking back and even just thinking back on it now, I probably should have gotten out even earlier. It's a balance for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's a good actually point that you made. You know, if you got to a point where something was suffering in your life that was incredibly important to you, which is, I wouldn't say, I'm not sure if your relationship with your husband was suffering, but clearly it was important to you to maintain a balance there, not to lash out for no reason and that's an actually really important thing to consider. You know, I remember when, when Sergey and I were in our finance jobs out of college. Yes, we did do exactly the same stuff. We had the same major in college, uh, the same roommates. And out of college, we had the same exact job. We eventually did branch out, but it actually helped us later on in starting companies together. But, you know, when we were in that finance jobs, we also noticed that we lived together. And so we would fight all the time and it wouldn't be productive, right? When we would think about side projects, we would get stalled because we would just blame each other for not being able to work on things. And I remember one night before going to work in the morning, I was so frustrated with the fact that I had to go to that job that I punched my wall. And that's clearly an indication that something is wrong when it starts manifesting itself in physical ways as well. And so fortunately, I was able to leave that job soon after. I think we underestimate how much our bodies tell us. But to be fair, we didn't learn this in school. So it's easy to look back now and see these obvious signs from my body in past situations. But for years, I just thought bodies are complicated and shit happens and then you deal with it and you take meds and whatever. And because each body will manifest stress in a different way, it's kind of hard to spot. But 
when we don't feel like ourselves anymore and we don't have control over our emotions or we're not proud of the energy that we carry anymore, it's probably a good idea to take a step back. For me, I had been working on myself for a while, so I was learning the signs and I got to a point where I finally admitted to myself, okay, this is unbearable now. And maybe this is the universe's way of forcing me to take this leap. And it was scary, but it was also a relief because I had already figured out my big idea. But what about those people who have no idea what they're going to do next? A lot of people haven't figured out their passion, or they're already so invested in this one particular field that starting over is just terrifying. So how do we begin to reset our thinking from who we were to make room for the possibilities of what we could become? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. In order to reset your thinking, you know, a lot of people attach their identity to their jobs, especially if you've been in a job for three, five, let's say even 10 years, you think that you are that job. So you have to learn to pull yourself away from that and understand that you are much more than that. And especially in today's job market and society, it's more important than ever to be able to reinvent yourself because there's new jobs, new industries constantly being created. And that means new opportunities for you to come in and capitalize on and leverage your different skills. And so when we're little, it's really easy to do, right? You want to go draw, you go draw. If you want to uh, have a sleepover at your friend's place, you nag your parents and you make it happen, right? Children don't really think about their consequences as much as adults do. But adults always come up with excuses for why they shouldn't do something. So the first step in resetting your thinking is getting back into your child self and understanding that you can do anything you want. And there's a lot of different things that might make you happy. For example, me and Sergey, we love public speaking. We love doing our podcast, I guess, because we love listening to ourselves talk. We love writing, so we're contributing authors. We love teaching, which just goes hand in hand with presentations. But I also like solving technical problems, so I'm the webmaster for all of our websites. There's a lot of different things that you might enjoy and care about. And so the first step is to kind of take a step back and say, I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of value to offer to the world. What could I possibly do? I think another way to get yourself in the right mindset or at least at least start being more honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you like. A lot of people, as Vidi mentioned, train themselves to not really even listen for that or notice that after a certain point in time is to think back through the last five, 10 years of your life. What are the things that you were told you should be doing, whether it's by your parents, whether it's by your boss, your college professor, even your guidance counselor or career advisor if you're still in college, for example. There's a lot of people that have an opinion about what you should be doing. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you by helping you minimize risk. They don't want you to fail, so they want to help guarantee your success. So they're gonna give you things that are proven pathway they think is right based on their own biased experiences. So once you start thinking back through those conversations that you might have had with those types of individuals in your life, you start understanding the things that you have been told that you didn't even notice and you started assuming, okay, I guess that's just the way things are and that's the thing that I should be doing. Once you listen for those things and you think back through those things, you can start to unpack what's true and what's not to you personally. And I think the sooner you do that, the sooner you realize that you have a very limited amount of time in this world and the way you spend every minute and every hour, that goes away after a certain point, right? You can't bring that back. And so the most important thing is you spending your time on the things that make you happy and the things that make you happy are typically the things that you're good at. So you can't listen for that. You can't notice that until you unpack 
the different thing that has been jammed into you by your society, by your surroundings. And so one way to start unpacking that, you know, a lot of people love lists. I certainly do. To-do lists, for example, or lists of podcast episodes I want to make. Well, start making a list. Think about the different times in your life when you woke up one day and decided to try something new. Let's say you decided to learn how to dance, so you took a salsa class, or you wanted to learn how to sing, and so you joined a, a chorus troupe, or you decided to go skydiving and you went out and just did it one morning, even though people may have told you skydiving is dangerous. If you start making a list of all the different times when you just decided to do something, you realize that is in your power to do again, especially as it pertains to your career and your livelihood. I want to go back to what you said about people telling you what you should be doing. I think it's really important to notice those, but even more important to identify where it's coming from. My stepdad, for example, has had one job that he's stuck out through retirement. So this entrepreneurial path has typically made him nervous. He's always been supportive, but through his advice, you can really tell he'd prefer the route of get a good job and stay loyal to it because that's how he knows how to find success. But then there's a more deliberate way of people telling you what you should be doing. And this is something I used when I was figuring out my purpose. I asked people that knew me from different areas of my life and asked them what I was good at. This ended up being one of my most helpful exercises because other people were seeing things in me that I didn't really see in myself. The big one was that people thought that I was good at bringing information from multiple sources and explaining it in a way that people could understand. First of all, that's super specific. And second of all, six people said almost the exact same words. It was crazy. So if you can't tell, it helped me come up with the idea of starting a podcast and was really helpful. But you do have to have that filter on of why are they telling me this? Is it because it's personal to me and it's something they see I could strive in? Or is it because this is all they know and they're afraid of seeing me fail? It's a perspective of love versus fear. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you brought that up. I think what you're good at is also partly what makes you happy as well. And there's a few other ways to think about what you're good at. Are there certain things that you have excelled in, in the different roles and things like that, that you've had, where people recognized you for what you did? For example, Sergey and I are pretty decent at negotiation. Ever since we took a negotiations class in college and people told us we do not want to negotiate with these guys, uh, we knew we had something. And so whenever I had to do that in a work environment, whether it's a business development relationship or let's say negotiating with a vendor about pricing, People would always then recognize me for it. My bosses would say, you crush this, and it would make me feel really good. So go back to your different experiences at work and think about at what point did I really excel or was I just much better than most people at a specific task? And Melissa, it's actually funny that you mentioned this because a couple of months ago, I started keeping, it's just a Google Doc, and I call it a diary of nice things. And literally what I do is anytime something nice happens to me, like someone says, Sergey, you really impacted me through this mentorship session, or you really did a good job at work, or even if it's something my girlfriend tells me, I'll just write it down in there because I started noticing that I'm pretty hard on myself. And I think a lot of people listening to the show, you're looking to improve yourself. So by default, you're probably somebody that's somewhat hard on yourself. And so I want to reflect on the things that I'm good at and the things that people appreciate me for. So I actually started keeping track of those things. And every once in a while, I go back and look at it. 
and it feels really nice. And also to your point of asking people, I think that's awesome. If you don't ask, oftentimes people just won't tell you. Some people are not very good at complimenting you. Some people just don't really communicate in that way. But if you ask them, oftentimes you will hear those answers, let's say that help guide you in the right direction. But I think the key thing is to ask the type of people that you want to emulate or the type of people that you want to be like. If you're asking people for their opinion and you're looking at that person and you don't want to be like them or you don't want to be at that point in your career that they are, then their answer is not really relevant. But if you ask people that you actually want to be like in a year or five years or 10 years, then you're actually going to take more stock in that answer and their opinion is a little bit more important to you. Right after this break, we'll learn a trick to get your foot in the door for seemingly impossible opportunities and why you need to reframe your story when you make a career change. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. 
We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. There's a few things I really love about your nice list. First, it's like tracking your wins, but for compliments, which honestly is one of my favorite habits of highly successful people, as they say. For me, it's just really motivating and helps me build momentum towards my goals. But also, it's a good way to bring attention to specific things you're good at without necessarily putting it through the filter of what you already do. And what I mean by that is, say you're an event planner. You've been one for years, but your current job isn't super fulfilling and you want to do something bigger or branch out on your own. And you think, well, what can I do? I can start my own event planning company. I can create events for socially good causes. And most of the future possibilities that you think of are through the lens of event planning because that's all you really know. But with the nice list, you bring attention to these more specific times that you really shine and you start to see that when you were leading a group, the people in the group were really happy or you were really good at training someone and they were grateful or you're great at working with vendors and negotiating a good deal. And all of these were in managing people or public relations of some sort. And suddenly you realize that your skills aren't necessarily with the events, but it's with the people. And then now you have so many more options to go off of. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Actually, Vadim has a great story of how he went from the first time going from finance to getting his first sales job. And it's actually relevant to your story of this event planner, because a lot of us think that when you graduate in college, I need to do the thing that was my major because that's my major. That's the only thing I have on my resume, right? Or I need to do the thing that I've had one or two or 10 years of experience of. But that's actually not the case. And there's ways to overcome that. Yeah, Sergey and I had been working on startups and different business ideas in college. We had some internships as well, but we ended up jumping into finance and doing that for a couple of years, going for the CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, and thinking that's going to be our life, right? Investment managers, investment bankers. Quickly realized, nope, <laughs> we were not happy in those roles, and we did not want to become our bosses and people that we saw in those functions. And so because we had a little bit of experience in college working on different business ideas and because we had been reading so much about startups and had some relatives that worked for startups as well, we identified that we wanted to work in tech. Innovation was exciting for us, but how do you get into tech? We realized there are really two ways to get a job at a tech startup because you're doing one of two things very, very early on. You're either building the product, so you're an engineer, or you're getting customers for the product. So you have to be really good at either sales 
or marketing. Well, I had taken some computer science classes in high school, AP Java. Yes, I was pretty nerdy, but I wasn't good enough to be a coder. And I knew there was a steep learning curve there for me to get a job as an engineer. Uh, I also knew that I liked talking to people and maybe something customer facing was going to be more exciting for me. And so I decided, you know what? Sales is probably a skill that I can pick up relatively quickly and a job that I can get in a couple months. Because at this point, I was already fairly miserable at my job. I was fortunate enough to have a cousin, he's actually technically my nephew, but we're the same age, so we always say cousin, who was working on a tech startup and they just got an office because they raised the seed round in Boston where we lived at the time, which was literally down the street from my office where I worked in finance. And so I decided to email him one day and I said, Boris, would you mind if I came in once or twice and kind of listened in on your sales guys' phone calls to try to learn from them? And he's like, I'll do you one better you can do the calls yourself. <laughs> so at about 4.45 or 5 p.m. at night, I'd walk over to his office down the street. He actually buddied me with his VP of sales. They had me go through a script and I would just start cold calling restaurants on the West Coast. Those were the customers that they sold to. And uh, I would only do it twice a week, but that was incredibly beneficial for me because you know the VP of sales would give me feedback. I would get better and better. And then lo and behold, three months later, I could put on my resume that I had a sales experience. And sure enough, that ended up landing me my first sales job at a pretty big company where I was going through an incredible sales training program where I had the opportunity to own the whole sales cycle from prospecting to closing the deal and getting the contract signed. And that later led to an opportunity to running a sales team uh, that was going through an accelerator program in Boston. So all of these things compound, but you can always build on your skills by being willing to do things that other people are not willing to do. And in my case, that was working for free for my nephew. Yes. I'm glad you brought this up because I actually just finished this really great book called The Third Door. It's a bestseller and I just met the author who agreed to interview for Mind Love. So listeners, get excited for that. Basically, the author, Alex Benayan, is on a quest to interview all these top-level people like Tim Ferriss, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Maya Angelou. The problem was he was only a 19-year-old college student with zero connections. Well, he did end up getting to all of these people, but his strategy was always hacking the system or finding the back door in or so to speak. Well, the reason your story just reminds me of this book is because one of the people on his list was Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos. There's more to the story, but he ended up asking him if he could shadow him for a day. Well, other employees saw him doing this and said to him, oh my God, I've been wanting to shadow Tony Shea for years. You're so lucky. So Alex ended up saying to the CEO of Zappos, you know, a lot of your employees want to shadow you. Why don't you let them? And he thought for a minute and said, well, no one's ever asked. This was eye-opening because people don't often think to take that initiative or they're afraid to be vulnerable for a second. But out of that boldness or that vulnerability can come opportunities that wouldn't be possible if you didn't. It's a great lesson, but the other half of it is that this also requires putting more thought into finding something that really intrigues you and then being deliberate with your strategy to start scoping out other ways to get your foot in the door. But if you take that time and take that initiative, it can save you so much time in the long run because you'll actually gain hands-on experience to see if it's even something you like before you invest all this time into getting certified and starting from the ground up and going through a huge application process and all of that. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of the best opportunities that we've ever gotten was just by asking. For example, we're contributing authors on Forbes and Goldcast.com. Well, on a whim in January, when Sergey and I sat down, we said, we want to start writing more content as well as the podcast that we produce, which is audio content. We need to do written content. And so I had been following Goldcast on Facebook for a while. I really loved the videos they put out. And I had noticed that they have a written publication. So on a whim, I decided to cold email their director of marketing and pitch her an idea for a column that I had. And she responded on a Saturday the next day saying, why don't you start by being a contributing author on Goldcast? And that was it. If I didn't ask for that opportunity, we wouldn't be writing for them and we wouldn't get other writing opportunities afterwards. And to your point, asking someone for something doesn't come naturally to everyone. It is something that people that are really motivated will do, but a lot of people are just scared by it. And I think it's important to realize that, of course, most of the time in life, if you don't ask, you won't get. And also to realize that if you do ask, what is the worst case scenario? We tend to build things up in our heads and really work from a place of fear oftentimes and avoid doing certain things because we are afraid of some sort of vague negative consequence. But in reality, the worst thing usually is that somebody will not respond to you or that they will say no. And oftentimes that no is not really a no, they're just busy for now and they're brushing you off and you can ask them again. So it is really important to realize that the risk is very, very minimal to ask somebody for something, but it's very big if you don't ask because you absolutely will not get anything. Plus, you can always do that little trick where you make your big ask, and if they say no, then you come back with something a little bit smaller. People will often feel like, well, I've already told them no for something, so I'll give them this little one. So framing your ask like a strategic negotiation can be really helpful too. Absolutely. That's a great sales technique. Ask for more than you think you will get, and you'll get to exactly what you want. I like that. So I've heard you guys say before to create a bias toward action. What do you mean by that? It's so easy for people to go to something that they're comfortable with, which usually is reading, for example, listening to podcasts. I mean, I listen to podcasts every day. Mind Love is one of the shows that I listen to. And I do that because it gives me ammunition to act later on. And it's actually just something that's very comfortable. So listening to podcasts, reading books, reading articles, consuming on social media. Consumption is a very passive way to live life, but I think it's also really important because oftentimes that's just how you learn. But the issue is that if you only consume and you never act, that's the trap of just wasting time and never getting the things that you want in life. So a bias toward action is actually just getting into the habit of taking something that you read or something that motivated you and applying it essentially right away, as fast as you can. And it actually is really hard to do. If you've trained yourself to not act on information and to really passively just consume information all the time, it's hard to get out of that. So you have to start with something and you find ways to make it easy for yourself to act early on at least once. So micro actions, I would say. What are some examples of micro actions? Well, If let's say you read about something that might help this business idea that you had and that something tells you to go out and talk to 20 customers, it might be difficult for you to actually go out there, write an email and email 20 people cold if you've never done that before and you don't know how to get people to respond to emails. But maybe something easier is to talk to three of your friends, send a Facebook chat message to three of your friends right now because you're definitely going to get a conversation with three of your friends that could potentially use this product. So you're removing friction for yourself in order to make that action happen. And I do this all the time when I have big ideas, I try to make them a little bit smaller and say, how can I 
act on this right now in a micro way that's actually going to at least guarantee some sort of movement. And then I can use that movement and momentum to then do a bigger action because I'm going to have evidence that it's working, right? So making it easy for myself. And a lot of people avoid action because let's say they're sort of down in the dumps or they're feeling negative and it's very hard to act where you, when you're in that place, when you're in that state of mind. But the beauty of taking action is it actually helps you feel more in control. All of us do this, right, where we have something that we really have to do and we just push it off and don't do it and don't do it. We might not do it for a week. And then you turn around and one week later, you spend so much of your precious time worrying about something that actually might only take 15 to 30 minutes of discomfort to accomplish and then you would feel so much better. So once you start taking action, you actually feel in control. Even just 30 minutes of working towards something makes you feel like you're achieving a goal. You no longer feel negative and you're actually taking a step towards potentially realizing whatever your dream was or your goal was and you feel a lot more comfortable. The other benefit from it is once you do something, once you take action, then things start to happen. You know, you might get new opportunities or you might get a yes and then you feel even happier. You never know what might happen if you start acting and you can't predict in what directions things can go. But by starting to do it, not only do you feel better, but things start growing from there. Vadim and I are, are big into creating wins for ourselves. So when something is not going well or when we're feeling down, we immediately go towards something that we know is going to be a win. For us, usually it's reaching out to somebody to get advice, reaching out to a friend or reaching out to somebody that we think will get us excited about some sort of new opportunity. So having a conversation. But to sum it up, the whole idea of creating a bias toward action is getting good at actually applying the things that you learn. And because it's not easy, you start with small steps then once you get some wins from the small steps, they lead to bigger steps. And the more you do it, the more you automatically start acting whenever things come across. Tony Robbins actually talks about this. Whenever he's in a meeting, he never walks away from a meeting without assigning action items to everybody there and knowing exactly what he's going to do too. And oftentimes he's actually acting on it immediately by the end of the meeting. And I used to have a boss that used to do exactly the same thing. He would be talking to somebody and he would promise to make them three introductions after the meeting. There would already be two introductions in their in inbox by the time they got to their seat. So you're going to get good at it over time, but you have to start with those small steps. What I find amazing are the patterns you start to become aware of when you're somehow tracking your day, whether it's through a planner, tracking your wins, journaling, any of those things. And one of the things I've noticed is that days that I start lazy usually end lazy, and I don't feel very good about them. I'm in this lower frequency. So I've usually justified these days with, well, I've been productive all week. I deserve to rest. But when I push through that tiredness and actually take action, I normally gain more energy as each thing is accomplished. And again, it is a balance because we do need and deserve rest, but there's a difference between scheduling in rest and self-care compared to throwing out your priorities last minute when you're in an emotional state and scrolling through social media for hours and you end up binging Netflix and Uber Eats. It feels like a rest and you can convince yourself it is, but really start to take notice of how much energy scrolling through social media takes, even if it feels like it's taking none. Same with not going outside in the day. You justify it with a lie saying that you're resting, but going outside and taking action both stimulate energy production. 
And taking action not only feels better than putting things off, but it builds momentum for even more action. You just had a woman on your show that talked about dealing with anxiety not too long ago, and she was talking about going after or doing things that you want, right? Or listening to the things that you want in order to cure anxiety. Anxiety is actually telling your body or telling you the things that you want. And when you get anxiety, it's usually when you're focusing on the things that you don't want. But that's that's exactly what action helps you with. Action oftentimes helps remove anxiety because you're getting toward the thing that you want. And a lot of times I think that's one way to deal with it. And your example is actually a perfect example toward that. Exactly. And so whenever we meet somebody that says, oh, you know, I have an idea for a show and I want to start writing it, but I just can't get around to it. Or, yeah, I have an idea for a podcast, but haven't had a chance to record it yet. We always say, what's stopping you? And usually there's no good answer that follows that. And so our typical advice for people that, you know, just can't move past a certain barrier is pretty simple and straightforward. Start today when you get home. And you'll notice that, first of all, you feel much better. And second of all, you're that much more likely to stick with it because you already spent some effort on it. And so if anybody out there it feels like they need to get started, the more you prevent yourself from doing something, the more you don't take action, the deeper you get into this negative cycle. And so the only way to get out of it, the only way to feel better is just to start, even if it's 15 or 30 minutes in a day. I wish I could remember where I read this, but I read somewhere that indecision is actually a form of pain. And learning that changed my entire life because I used to wear indecision as almost this badge of honor. I'd be at a restaurant trying to choose what to eat and I would just always say, oh, sorry guys, I'm just so indecisive. (laughs) Then through reading about the habits of successful people, I started to reset my thinking and realize, wow, Indecision is actually an embarrassing trait. You're living your life telling the universe with every small decision you make that you have no idea what you want in life. So it hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't want to be that girl. We have a limited amount of willpower and we're going to spend it weighing these totally low level decisions for hours, days, weeks. It's a huge energy suck. For a few years before I finally took action on my dreams, I'd do way too much research. I'd convince myself it was to be prepared, but really I think it was fear. Perfectionism is basically fear of something not being good enough. So the name had to be perfect. The website had to be set up perfectly. The exact handles on all the social media platforms had to be available, which is almost impossible at this point. But in striving for perfection, everything was always half done. I'd get worn out before I could gain any real traction. So when I read all of these successful people saying, just take action, and finally started trying to live that way, it completely changed my life. Think about it. How are you going to create the life of your dreams if you can't even order lunch? Now, I would rather get started and have to maybe go back and redo some things along the way than I would over-prepare to try to get it perfect the first time. Not only am I going to learn more by actually doing, but I'll be happier through the entire process, even if it does mean backtracking on some things, as strange as that sounds. Oh yeah, trying to get something perfect almost never works because we're pretty bad actually at predicting what's going to happen. Decisions or making decisions is inherently painful sometimes because 
as humans, we evolve to see it as a risky proposition. Well, what if we make the wrong decision? What's going to happen from there? So that's why we spend so much time planning and a lot of times overthinking things. When simply put, if we just took some next step, you would see that just by making decisions, not only do you feel better, but you're that much closer and you're pulling yourself out of this negative state and you're getting closer to what you want because guess what? You couldn't predict how things would pan out anyways if you made that decision. And so you got to make a decision and move forward. I'll give an example also bring this back to people that are trying to change careers, for example. Let's say that you are in a sales role and you want to be in a more technical role. And there are a bunch of options for you. There's sales engineering, there's product management, project management, maybe even engineering. Maybe you want to learn that skill and take that job because you think it pays more. And so the indecision there is, well, it's tough. You don't know what you don't know. So how do I know if I'm making the right choice with the job that I end up choosing? Well, you can do all the research in the world, right? You can spend days, maybe even weeks or months looking at every single job ad and trying to figure out what's right for you and what are you going to really learn there? That's really important to ask yourself. I'm going to do all this work researching. What am I going to really learn? And is there a faster way for me to learn? And so what would I do in that situation instead of researching job ads? Sure, you can research job ads for a day. That's totally fine. But much faster way to learn is to reach out to people that are in this role and speak to them. And understanding what does it take to be in that role? What skills? What, pe- what do people look for? What do you like about this job? What do you not like about this job? I guarantee you in a couple 20-minute conversations with a few people in those roles, you're going to get a much better idea of whether it's the right fit for you and whether you should pursue this as a new career or not. So research, not always the best thing, especially even when you're starting businesses. We always tell people, you've been doing research for way too long. It's time to start selling, start talking to your customers, etc. I think you can apply this to careers and any other creative thing that you're going to be doing in your life. Okay. So say I've taken the time to figure out what skills I have and what people think I'm good at. And then I start brainstorming some new directions to use these skills. And I figure out, well, I'd really love to work with a social good startup, or I'd love to start a coaching business, but I'm missing this one big skill. Do you have any tips to quickly learn new skills that might be needed for a new career? Oh, yeah. The absolute quickest way to acquire skill is obviously to jump into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, and just to create something yourself. So obviously, for example, you, Melissa, you became a podcaster relatively recently. How did you know how to do that skill? I found a podcasting course online from a podcaster that I trusted, and I just signed up for it. And how long after that course did you start your own podcast? Hmm. Well, I know the course was on September 30th, and I launched on December 5th, so about two months. Exactly. And that's relatively quick turnaround. There's definitely a lot of value in preparing yourself and self-study. So usually we say start there. Spend a little bit of time studying sort of the discipline or learning the skill that you want. Let's say you want to become a coder. There's plenty of coding classes that you can take, even free classes online. Spend a month or so or two months doing that. You're going to be spending a lot of time doing the work or doing similar type of work that you're going to do in the real world or in your job. And you're really quickly going to find out if you like it or not. Even then, just by spending even a few weeks self-studying, you already start knowing more than more than 90% of the population about that particular skill. But as soon as you feel even remotely comfortable, we always say start creating something for yourself. So for you, you know, after a few months of acquiring some of those skills and learning best practices, 
You just jumped in and started a podcast. For us, for example, we started software businesses before, even though we never started a software business. And funny enough, these things that we've done by creating things for ourselves ended up creating much more value or even apparent value from other people's perspective that then opened up opportunity for us down the line. So we always say, of course, you can leverage your domain expertise, but get in, start learning, and then start doing the actual thing that you want to do and create something for yourself. This has to do with finding mentors as well. A lot of people think that your mentors should be people that have decades and decades of experience. Oftentimes, that person's experience might already be actually outdated based on the reality of modern life. So we always recommend that when you look for mentors or when you look for advice from people, you try to get advice from people that are absolutely doing better than you are or doing a really great job, are successful in the thing that you want to do, but they're a little bit ahead of you. They're one year, three years ahead of you maybe. And there's a couple of reasons why you want to do that. The first reason is they're just more likely to respond to you because they know exactly what it's like to be in your shoes. And the second reason is because because they know what it's like to be in your shoes, their advice is just going to be more relevant to you because they remember what it was like to be you. And when you talk to those people, what I would do is I would ask them, if you had a chance to start over, what do you think would be most important to learn now versus some of the other things that you might have learned that are not as relevant? And you focus on those things because that's going to be the fastest way to become an expert. They already have went through that journey, might as well not repeat the same mistakes that they did. So I think talking to people is absolutely the fastest and the best way to figure out what's the right thing to learn. And just to talk through one more scenario of creating something for yourself out of nothing as the fastest way to learn something. Let's say you work for a PR firm and your primary job is writing press releases for other people, but you really want to get into marketing. That excites you. Well, you've already established some domain expertise, let's say, as a writer. So what could you do to develop some marketing skills? Well, first of all, obviously, you can self-study. You can learn about marketing. You can listen to podcasts and read a bunch of blogs. But the very next thing that you should do is create something for yourself. Well, what has the lowest barrier to entry. Well, you can start writing content for yourselves, right? So put together a blog or a little online publication about a topic of interest for you or something that you're a domain expert in that you can write a lot about. And then over the next few months, let's say, you got to focus on building a brand and focus on doing the marketing activities that you would be expected to do in the role that you would want in the future, let's say, at another company. So what does that mean as a marketer? Well, that means driving traffic, driving subscribers, getting people to share your content, all these different things. And once you create something for yourself, first of all, you'll have something to point to on your resume and in your story to get opportunities or to get in front of people, to get interviews and things like that. And second of all, when you do get those interviews and you're having those conversations, you're not faking it anymore. You did something for yourself and you can point to the results that you were able to accomplish in just a few short months. And employers oftentimes, when you do something for yourself, even a few months of doing something or even let's say half a year can be equivalent to years of experience working for another company because they know how hard it is to build something from scratch completely. That's a really good point because... When I was figuring out my ideal future, the podcast wasn't the big picture dream. I visualized myself on a stage inspiring thousands of people public speaking. So I thought, well, what can I do right now to start public speaking without any prior experience? And how can I make it work for me the fastest? I thought, well, I need to find something that requires no one's approval but I'll have something to show for my work. So when I do want to apply for a public speaking opportunity, I can send them a video or an audio. 
And since I was getting so much value from other podcasts I was listening to, a podcast seemed like a really good place to start. And now I have 42 something episodes of content that I can share with people to show this is what I sound like, these are the topics I can speak on, and this is how people respond through my reviews. And there ended up being a lot of benefits that I didn't really think of before I started the podcast. Like the more I speak and the more that I share with people, the more I'm actually understanding about myself, including my own story leading me from where I was to where I am now. And speaking of framing your story, this actually brings me to my next question. You guys have spoken on the importance of framing your story when switching careers, especially if the new career is in an entirely new direction. So why is it so important to have a compelling story? Well, one, one thing is that people are very good at sniffing out BS. It's just the way it is, especially people that are interviewing. If their job is to interview people and they do it on a regular basis, they can sniff out when you're saying something that you don't actually truly have experience in. When you actually have done something, even if it's a project that you created for yourself or your own portfolio, there are going to be stories throughout that process where you overcame difficulties, things that are so fresh in your mind because you just did it that you can communicate it in a way that that person actually feels the authenticity of it. So there's no way to have a good story unless you do it from personal experience. And people definitely notice, I've found at least. But also people latch on to stories. When they ask you about your experience, they don't want you to just sit there and talk through a bulleted list. They want to hear how it evolved. They want to see why you were motivated to do what you did. They want to get to the climax and get to why you want to do the next thing that you want to do, why you're there talking to them. And it's much easier to convince somebody with a well-packaged story than just kind of a list of all the things you've done. And more importantly, everything you've ever done in your life isn't going to be relevant to every single single person that you talk to. So you have to be very careful and go back through the story of your life and think about, okay, this is my next conversation. What do I present to this person in order for my story to make sense to them and to resonate with them? It's so true. And it's true beyond just with your resume. It's actually the entire message behind the best-selling book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Another really good book for those of you who haven't read it. I know this is like book recommendation day, but if you can't tell, I just really love books. And thank you to the listener who requested that I finally put up my book list of my favorite books. It's now up at mindlove.com slash books. Anyways, Simon Sinek breaks down why some companies like Apple become hugely successful. And it comes down to the reason behind the product or what the product represents more than what the product can do. Because people resonate with people, not products. And even investors invest in people more than the ideas. Most of us have heard that companies prefer loyalty. And a lot of career changes on a resume can be a red flag. But if you have a compelling story between how these job changes were more of an evolution of you than indecision, a red flag can turn into a selling point. So when you are crafting your story, what are some tips to reframing it to fit with your new career, new opportunity, or whatever it is that you're trying to build? So one piece of advice that people seem to overlook is really thinking deeply about your previous set of experiences, right? So in your previous role, for example, let's say you were a salesperson, right? And you want to become a product manager. Well, 
first of all, let's take a step back. What different tasks or what things do you have to be good at as a product manager? And so what have you done in your previous roles, let's say in sales, that might make you good at that? Well, let's say it's collecting feedback from customers and communicating it to engineers. If you work at a small enough company, you probably did that at one point or another. So communicating with multiple stakeholders across the company, right? Did you have, even in your sales job at any point, times where you did that? You have to kind of take stock of all the different things that you did in your previous roles that now might make sense towards your new story. And so think back through all these different examples and think back to when you had some of these wins and when you were able to succeed in doing things that weren't exactly defined in your job description and how it might apply to what you want to be doing now. And I'll add something else is that nothing substitutes actually going out physically and talking to people. So let's say you want to get a job in marketing and you're trying to figure out how do I package my experience to make myself seem like I would be a successful marketer. Well, one way to do it, because you don't want to necessarily burn that in an interview, you don't want to burn interviews. Uh, so you might go to a marketing networking event where in networking events we're implicitly expected to introduce ourselves and talk about our experience. Well, when you're introducing yourself to somebody at that networking event that's a marketing expert, let's say, or, or works in a marketing role, when you talk about yourself and your story, what is their reaction like? And you have to get good at looking at them and trying to gauge their reaction and trying to gauge their micro expressions on their face. Are their eyes glazing over? Do they look like they are just trying to wait for you to be done talking so they can talk about their own thing? Are they looking in different directions and trying to talk to other people and adjusting it as you go along? The next time you approach somebody else, try to say something a little bit different. Describe yourself in a little bit more of an interesting way. Focus on different parts of your work experience that maybe were more relevant to that particular position. And over time, you get enough talking points. We like to say it's essentially your highlight reel where you don't have to say your entire life story. It's just the highlight reel that's relevant to that person, that individual. Over time, when you say your story enough and when you see people's reactions and it starts getting better and better, you will have a bunch of talking points that are now relevant based on what you're trying to do next. It's funny because I always think I know what people resonate with with my story, but I'm usually surprised when I start telling it. A few years back, I had to work a conference booth with the startup I was with. And the story behind the product and even why the product was important to me completely changed by the end of the week. And everything I was saying was true. I wasn't just making stuff up, but it was the parts I emphasized and the way I told the story that changed. It's easy for me to be on one side of this microphone and just be blasting my story out there. But you guys have actually inspired me to go to some more networking events and be able to gauge people's reaction in person when I do tell my story. So thanks for that and for all the other wisdom you guys have shared. This has been great, especially because I'm still in my first year of this big change in my life. So this episode felt particularly helpful. For listeners who are interested in learning more about you guys and your podcast, where can they find you? So they can find us on any podcasting platform. We're called The Mentors or thementors.co. We love to talk about things like this. The things that we're most curious about is the origin stories and how people actually get things done, whether they're entrepreneurs or whether they're trying to change careers. And that's really what we focus on in our show as well. How do people get from zero to one, essentially? Whether they just sold their business for $500 million or they just went from you know a sales job to an engineering job. We want to know the how. So yeah, thementors.co or on iTunes or CastBox or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And also, we love mentoring different entrepreneurs or mentoring young people as well. That's why we teach. And so 
anybody can email us anytime. You can find us on thementors.co or vadim, V-A-D-I-M, at thementors.co or sergey, S-E-R-G-E-I, at thementors.co. All of the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 042. And if you're interested in my always growing book recommendations, <laughs> go to mindlove.com slash books for a really handy reference of my favorite books mentioned on the show. I hope this episode was helpful to inspire you guys that you're just so much more than your career. I know it's really an easy thing to get sucked into believing because it's what we're doing day in and day out. Even if you do love what you do, you're still more than that. We are these magnificent, infinite, powerful beings, and our biggest problems come from not realizing that. So remind yourselves every day. And if you need help being reminded on a daily basis, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. That's what it's there for, to remind you of how amazing you are first thing in the morning so you can start your day in power. All you have to do to sign up is go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage or text MORNING to 444-999. I also want to give a big thank you to all of you who filled out the survey that I sent. I'm still sifting through all of the responses, but they're pure gold. And I already have so many great episode ideas based on what you all shared with me. And last, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you have a chance. That's really, really helpful to the growth of this show. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.